So is it, a, is it Thanksgiving weekend or the first weekend of Advent? Yeah, so whoever said yes, you got it right. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, kind of, you know, the, the, the transition's been kind of bumpy for me. I don't know about y'all, but I've, I was having a little trouble with it, you know, because uh, I preached here last night, so we got home about two hours before the service, and Friday night I'm in Port Lavaca, and I'm, I'm sitting on, on, a, you know, on a deck overlooking the bay in Port Lavaca, having kind of a Jimmy Buffett moment, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and, and then, you know, I'm, and it's 83 degrees, and then I get here Saturday night, it's still 83 degrees, but now we're singing Christmas music, and, and I'm having a little trouble shifting gears, and, and, and the Advent candle wouldn't light last night, and I'm going, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling you, candle. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's just kind of shifting. You know, sometimes, uh, it, it, you know, it's kind of hard to make that shift for me, and we came home from Port Lavaca, um, you know, our, our Thanksgiving traditions have changed, you know, for many, many years, the tradition in our family was we went to my wife's uh, mother's house, uh, and, and she cooked this grand feast uh, for all of us, and no more food than we could possibly eat, uh, and everybody would gather and have this, and then in uh, 98, 99, both of her parents passed away, and so we had to kind of retool that a little bit, and we went to her aunt's a couple of years, and then my wife decided she'd ha start having people come to our house, and so she started doing this big Thanksgiving meal with more food than we could possibly eat. Well, two years ago, uh, our daughter-in-law says, I'd like y'all to come to our house for Thanksgiving. And so we said, okay. So we went down to Port Lavaca, and my son smoked the turkey. It was really good, and, and he smoked the ham. It was really good. My daughter-in-law made dewberry cobbler. It was really good. I mean, all, it was all really good, and, 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 and you know, I didn't have to wash all the dishes, which was really good. Uh, so I had a great time, and, and we're driving home from that, and, and my wife goes, well, that was weird. And I'm going, what? I had a great time. I thought it was wonderful. And she's going, yeah. She said, but we just went to one of our kids' house for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Now our daughter wants us to come to her house next year for Thanksgiving. And, and you know, that, that whole thing is kind of moving, uh, you know, that shifting on us again. Uh, <clears throat> and it's, it's interesting the way we get, you know, traditions and expectations and things that start to kind of carry the freight of the holidays for us you know they kind of become the thing that defines <coughs> defines the holiday instead of what the holiday is really about so uh so we're, we're moving into the season of advent and i want to invite you to think about instead of just kind of the traditions and expectations we carry uh what's the deeper meaning about what we're entering into now let's pray Mighty Father, we thank you that uh, the wind did turn last night and it did get cool. And we do feel a little more like Advent today than we did yesterday. Uh, but we ask you to come and uh, open us up this morning uh, to all that you would share with us and speak into us. Uh, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, as we come into Advent over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be uh, using a little bit of uh, some material from uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas, and I'm just going to give you a little background. Uh, Y'all may remember it premiered in 1965, in December of 1965. Uh, Charles Schultz, of course, was the artist that drew it. This was at the height of the popularity of Peanuts on the comics page of the newspaper. Y'all know that was that thing that they used to print on paper and put on your... Yeah, okay. So, uh, and so uh, Schultz drew uh, his uh, famous characters, and he already had in mind what he wanted to do with this, incidentally. And the music was uh, done by the Vince Guaraldi Trio, 
and uh, kind of introduced uh, a lot of people in America to uh, modern uh, jazz compositions. Uh, the soundtrack, incidentally, for this sold like four million copies in a month. It was on an album. That's a piece of plastic that's pressed with, you know. So, uh, so it was interesting that this was a this was kind of a last-minute thing that uh, the network decided they wanted to do, and they went to Schultz, and they said, we want to do this, and can you put it together? And uh, so in, in roughly six weeks, uh, he drew this. He wrote, you know, wrote out all the script and everything. Um, Garaldi put the music together, and it was one of the first times that they ever actually used children to voice the characters in it. Uh, so it premiered in, in December of 1965, uh, it had the largest TV audience of anything that year uh, during the Christmas season, and, and it's been on every year since then and still draws a huge audience. Uh, despite the short timeline uh, that it was used, uh, to put it together, uh, it won both an Emmy and a Peabody Award that year, so a huge kind of hit. And most of us have seen it, you know, pretty much at least you know, four times, five times or something. A lot of us have seen it a lot more than that. And we're going to use pieces of that as we go through uh, this year uh, through Advent. As we get into Advent, I'm going to start with a story, though, about uh, Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Uh, there's a story in the first Kings where Elijah comes to kind of a grudge match, if you will, uh, with the prophets of Baal. This is, a, this is a chance to see, you know, who's, who's really, who's God's real. And so there's this challenge that's pushed down, and the, and the prophets of Baal, and there's about 400 of them, uh, they build a fire, and Elijah builds a fire, and the, and the challenge is whoever's God consumes all the wood first, you know, and completely wins, right? And I, I keep thinking, that sounds like something we would have done in Boy Scouts. But anyhow, uh, so the prophets of Baal, they chop all this wood, they build this big bonfire, they dump oil, gallons and gallons of oil on it, kind of like we might put diesel or kerosene on a fire. Um, and then they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and it just sits there. So Elijah goes, and he builds his bonfire, but he dumps gallons and gallons of water on his. And then he prays, and he prays, and fire descends from the heaven and just incinerates it and completely consumes the wood. And Elijah wins. And so then in, in part of the story that you usually gets left out for reasons you'll understand, uh, Elijah goes and slaughters all the prophets of Baal. That's kind of the downside of the story. Uh, but, but, but that's what happens. And, and, you know, so there's this great moment of victory for Elijah uh, until someone goes and tells Queen Jezebel what's happened. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, he's just had this great victory, you know, and, and my first impression is what he ought to be saying is, bring it, right? I mean, you know, I just took you on and bring it on. But, but the reality is that all of us know you have those moments where you know, we kind of have these mountaintop moments in life, and then you step back into the mundane kind of rhythm of life, and, and, and everything kind of goes back to the way it was. And so Elijah has this great victory, but then the queen, she's still the queen, you know, she sends word out, okay, you did that, well, I'm going to come, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you. And Elijah immediately falls back into the pattern of being afraid for her, 
and runs for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And the language in Hebrew of that falling asleep is he basically, he, he lays down, falls asleep, and he's waiting to die. I mean, that's the, the, what you should understand about that. I mean, he's really, he's just given up. He, he, you know, I mean, he's done everything he can, and, and she's come back at him, and now he's just defeated. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Um, he has this great victory and then immediately slips back into that place of being defeated and being scared, runs to the wilderness and basically says, okay, God, that's it. Just let me die now. And God refuses. God, God sends a messenger, an angel to, to stir him up and say, here, eat and drink this. And then spurs him to travel on out to Mount Horeb, which we would also know as Mount Sinai, uh, the place of the covenant. He takes him when he's at that place where he's gone from victory to defeat to depression and says, it's time for you to go deeper, to find something more powerful, to be recentered. That 40 days and 40 nights is, is kind of a symbolic time that appears throughout the Scripture whenever the, the prophets or the apostles are needing to, to kind of recenter themselves and, and reconnect with their faith and reconnect with God. And so he, he's driven out to reconnect with God. In a similar way to this, you know, when we start, when we start the, the, the Charlie Brown special, some of you will remember, it starts off with Charlie Brown bemoaning the fact that here we are in the midst of Christmas, and he's not feeling too much like Christmas. Must be something wrong with me, Linus. Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards and decorating trees and all that, but I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Charlie Brown, you're the only person I know who can take a wonderful season like Christmas and turn it into a problem.
Maybe Lucy's right. Of all the Charlie Browns in the world, you're the Charlie Browniest. Yeah. So he's beginning Christmas, and yet he's talking about feeling depressed. And uh, one of the things that we, we as pastors are aware of is every year when we come into the season that, that we have those people in the midst of us who are feeling depressed. And, you know, I, I watched this show. The first time I saw this was in uh, 1965 with our family in Corpus and sitting around and watching this. And incidentally, black and white, yes, thank you. Uh, and, and, you know, and watch it. And we've watched it years and year after year after year. But, but of the folks that watched it with me in 1965, I'm, I'm really aware that none of them are around anymore. I've done all their funerals at this point. And so, uh, you know, when we talk about the, the ghosts of Christmas past, uh, you know, I have some ghosts of Christmas past that are with me, and they're very real. And, and I know that's true for a lot of you, right? I mean, you have those things from the past that are no longer there. The people that aren't with you anymore, um, the traditions that you no longer can observe, uh, the things that haven't gone right. I mean, that's, that's a reality. And, and we know when we come into this season, there's this expectation that everybody's supposed to be happy and excited and joyful, and yet you just don't feel that way, and it makes you feel that much worse. So what I want to suggest to you is uh, the first thing to do with that is just kind of own it, admit it, that that's where you're at, like Charlie Brown does. You know, I, I know I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm just not. Because sometimes we come into the season, we're just not there. Uh, sometimes it's because of things like people that have passed away that, that are no longer there or traditions we can't do. Sometimes our jobs have gone away during the year. Uh, marriages are falling apart. Uh, kids are having issues. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can come around to that. And we know that every year when we come into this season, we have people in the church who struggle moving into it because they feel like they're supposed to be happy, but they really don't feel that way. And what I want to suggest to you is that maybe like Elijah, you know, when you're at that place where you think you'd be happy, but you don't feel that way, maybe, maybe there's an opportunity there, or maybe God's telling you it's time for the 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe there's an opportunity to go deeper, to go deeper than just all this stuff that we usually do on the surface. So admit that there's a problem and then begin to, to stop, stop and Look and listen to search for something more. To search for something more. To look for something more. You know, when, when the surface stuff we do no longer is enough, that's a great opportunity for God to speak into our lives and maybe uh, take us to a different level and to a deeper understanding of what we're about. Uh, it, it's the time to do that. And so instead of trying to uh, just paper it over, uh, maybe this is a great time to say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to set some time aside and, and just kind of open my eyes and open my ears and, and see what God might say to me, what God might hold for me this year, and, and, and not settle for less, <laughs> not just put band-aids on those things. Uh, too many times we, we watch people who come in the holidays and they're not really getting it, so they decide what they really need to do is, well, you know, I, I really need to go to more parties. That would solve my problem, Right? Or, or I really need to drink more, and that would solve my problem. Or I, I really just need to spend a lot more money on stuff, and that would solve my problem. And, and none of those fix anything. And we still feel as empty as we did before. It's just that we've spent a lot of time being drunk, or we've spent all our money, or we've gone and spent all our time on stuff on the surface instead of going deeper. 
I want to invite you to think, you know, maybe, maybe you go deeper and, and look for something more. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus teaches some parables on the kingdom of God. He says, you know, the kingdom of heaven's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven's like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Sometimes instead of selling for stuff that's lesser, allowing ourselves to be bought off by something that's easy, uh, maybe we need to hang in with God. And not settle for anything less than what God really wants to share with us. Uh, maybe it's time to journey into the desert and make that long trip and really dig deep. And, and then expect that God's going to answer us. Don't, don't just pray as if you might hear from God. But pray expecting that you'll hear from God. When the, the people of Israel were in uh, captivity in exile in Babylon... Uh, they felt uh, separated from God in, in a very fundamental kind of way because they believed that God actually dwelled in the temple of Jerusalem. And so when the temple was destroyed and they were taken into exile, it wasn't just that they couldn't go back to their hometown. Uh, they felt actually separated from God. We can't worship God. We can't pray to God. God doesn't hear us because God's dwelling place has been destroyed and we're no longer there. And so there was a fundamental kind of separation they felt. And into that moment, God chose to speak to them through the prophet Jeremiah. And, and I want you to hear that when you read through these prophetic kind of passages and you see that phrase, declares the Lord, or the phrase, says the Lord, uh, the prophet is letting you know that this isn't just something he or she is thinking up, but rather this is a word that God has given them to share with you. So this actually is God speaking through them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you declares the Lord and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile in this word that says, you know, even though the temple's destroyed and, and you're far away, I am still with you and I am still listening to you. I still have plans for you and good things in mind for you. And if you'll just seek me, you'll find me. So instead of settling for all the surface stuff, dive deeper and understand that, that if you dive deeper, God's waiting for you. Expect God to answer you expect God to have a word for you and expect that word to come to you perhaps in in unexpected kinds of ways because when God speaks to us God doesn't always speak to us the way we think it's going to be uh, about our third year in South Bluff uh, we had our first Christmas Eve service the church didn't do Christmas Eve services when I went there and uh you know, my wife grew up Episcopalian, so, you know, Christmas Eve service is kind of a big deal for her. And we kept talking to them about it, and they kept saying, oh, we don't like to get out after dark. We don't want to have to do all that. But it was primarily an older adult congregation. And, uh, and we kept working on them. And about three years in, we convinced them to do it. And, and about two weeks before Christmas, I ended up in the hospital with some surgery being done. Um, so I got out of the hospital on the 23rd. 
uh, and we had our Christmas, first Christmas Eve service on the 24th, and it was wonderful. I mean, it was great to get out of the hospital. It was great to see everybody. The service went great. The music was wonderful. Everybody had a wonderful time. Uh, it, it was a real, I mean, it was a real high point of the year that we'd done this, and it came together in spite of everything, uh, and it was a wonderful service. But on the way home, as I was driving down Ocean Drive along the, the bayfront in Corpus, all of a sudden I found myself pulling off and getting out of my car and walking down and sitting by the waterfront. And, and it really was in that moment, just sitting there by the water, that God most clearly spoke a word of hope to me that year. It wasn't in that high moment of that service that we'd all worked so hard and, and, and being with everybody and, and the music and seeing everybody and, and enjoying all that. As fun as that was, the high moment of the evening was sitting alone by the waterfront. I mean, expect for God to speak to us in unexpected ways. Because when it's expected, too often that's our stuff and not God's stuff. So Elijah's out in the cave in Mount Sinai, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altar, and, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Does that sound familiar? You know, I'm going to lay here in the dirt and eat some worms. A little bit of a pity party going on here from Elijah. You know, he's feeling kind of sorry for himself. And, and so God says to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. I mean, too often we try to control the way God speaks to us instead of listening for what God wants to say. And for generations, the people of Israel waited for the Messiah for the one that was going to come and free them from Roman and Greek you know, uh, oppression and was going to restore the kingdom and restore the, the wealth of the nation. Uh, they had all these expectations they built up. And, and then when the Messiah came, it wasn't at all what they were expecting. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Not a great warrior dressed in armor. Not born in the palaces of Jerusalem. But you're going to have a baby who's going to be wrapped in the kind of cloth that every baby's wrapped in. Lying in a feed trough in a stable. Not at all what they expected. And yet the hope of the world. God speaks into those moments in unexpected ways so that we don't confuse God's word with our word. So I want to invite you as we're beginning this Advent journey to uh, 
take a moment and step back from all the, the stuff that we enjoy. I mean, not that you're not going to enjoy it, not that you don't want the music and all those things, but, but take a moment in the midst of that and step back from that and go deeper. Go deeper. Search for what it is that God wants to speak into your life. Expect an answer from God. And expect it to come in unexpected ways. Unstop your ears and, and open your eyes and soften your heart. And God just might speak an unexpected word of hope into the midst of your life. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we confess that uh, in this time of year, uh, we become very caught up in the decorations and, and in the celebrations and in the music and in all the things, and, and those bring us a lot of happiness. And yet, there, there's something more that we long for. So God, uh, unstop our ears and take the blinders off of our eyes. Soften our hearts. Fill us with an expectation that in some unexpected way we can hear the word of hope that you long to speak to us. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.